Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Deborah Zolinski about how the eyes are affected after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minnesota. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone, and you are listening to The Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me at facesoftbi.com, and you can also see past podcast episodes and upcoming topics. Today's guest is Deborah Zolinski. Deborah graduated from the Illinois College of Optometry in 1985 and founded the Mind-Eye Connection in 1993. She has spent the past 30 years developing methods for assessment of brain function with emphasis on the often untested linkage between the eyes and the ears. Customized eyeglasses can be used to stabilize dysfunctional eye-ear connections, enhancing learning and language abilities. When visual and auditory pathways are not solidly interacting, reading and spelling abilities suffer, as do social skills. Dr. Zelensky's cutting-edge research in retinal circuitry and three patents and novel usages of retinal stimulation have been described in neuro-optometric rehabilitation publications and optometric courses worldwide. Currently, she is a reviewer for the Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and the Journal of Visualized Experiments and has been a scientific grant reviewer for the Department of Defense Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program several times. In 2013, she was presented with the Founding Fathers Award from NORA, the Neuro-Optometric Rehabilitation Association, and is an active member of the World Brain Mapping Foundation and the Society for Neuroscience. Her books include Open Your Eyes and Listen and An Insight to Vision, along with Donnelly Marcus, Ph.D., and Dr. Zelensky is also featured in the 2015 book, The Ghost in My Brain, How a Concussion Stole My Life and the New Science of Brain Plasticity Brought It Back by Clark Elliott. She's also cited in the afterword of Norman Dodge's 2015 New York Times bestseller, The Brain's Way of Healing, and her work is endorsed by the World Brain Mapping Association, and it will be featured in a chapter in the advanced textbook of neurophotonics due out in April 2017. So welcome to the show, Deborah. I am so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's nice to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, you know, I have had so many people, your name comes up all the time. And I think The Ghost in My Brain by Clark Elliott, that book is referenced so often. I I have a Facebook group of about 7,000 TBI survivors, and that book comes up over and over and over again. So I just can't thank you enough for being here and sharing some of your knowledge um, with my fellow TBI community. Well, again, thank you for having me, but it's it's Clark that you need to thank. He spent four years meticulously <laughs> writing and writing and writing and rewriting, and uh, he he wanted to get the idea across to non-brain injury patients how the brain injury patients actually feel from the inside, and I think he did a beautiful job um, between mm-hmm. him. Uh, yeah. What he's cre- he's going to be speaking in Oxford in a conference on movement disorders this summer and uh, more and more people um, will start knowing about this I had the opportunity to hear him on NPR it was funny all of a sudden my email blew up and people were like oh my gosh turn on NPR there's a guy on talking about brain injury (laughs) and it, it was Clark Elliott so that was very cool to get to listen to his story yeah but Today, I am just really excited to have you here to talk about the connection with the eyes after brain injury. Um, I, you know, I myself definitely was struggling. My vision was still normal, like 2020, but I just, mm-hmm. I could tell my eyes weren't quite right, and I could tell that they were causing me to be a little bit dizzy and off balance, and it was so challenging because doctor after doctor would ask me, well, are you seeing double? Well, no. At least I didn't think I was. Um, And so they just thought I was fine. Um, So that's what I want to talk about today is how our eyes are so connected when we bump our heads. And maybe you would like to start out just kind of by talking about that eye-brain connection and how it gets a little bit jumbled. you know, it's, it's well, sure, I equate Amy. it to like dropping your laptop, <laughs> where everything gets jumbled. Uh, and I equate it to uh, yes. an orchestra, where you have the the different uh, disciplines. You have the brass section and the percussion section and the string section. And if they're all playing a little bit out of sync, some too fast and some too slow, they won't sound right. But if you take each person mm-hmm. in the orchestra to a doctor and you say something's wrong, they'll look and say, nope, you're not wrong, you're not wrong, you're not wrong. Then they say, maybe it's the instruments. Well, all the instruments go, but it's the timing. So in the visual system and visual processing, it's the same thing. When you go to the doctor and they look at your eyelashes and your eyelids and your retina and your cornea and the lens and all the pieces, they're all fine. And then they say, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. But if the timing of the processing is a little bit off and they're not synchronized, you're going to have a problem. Uh, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that the eye itself, the retina, which is the lining of the eye, is a piece of brain tissue. So if you pretended your brain were made out of Play-Doh and you took your hand and took a chunk of the brain and pulled it forward, you would get the retina. It's a chunk of brain tissue. So all of the things going on in the body, the blood vessels, the blood flow, everything's going through the retina. And in addition, the retina is getting information from the outside world, from from the light that comes in. 
So up until about 2002, people assumed that the retina had cones and rods to gain information about the surrounding environment. But in 2002, they found that there's other cells in the retina that aren't with the, the cones or rods that have to do with luminance. And that's what, if you go camping, they did a study where they put people out camping. And after a few days, everybody got regulated by the luminance. But when the sun would go down at night, they would get sleepy and want to go to sleep. Because when the luminance got dimmer, your, their eyes produced melatonin, and that made them sleepy. And then when the sunlight came out in the morning, they would wake up. So the, all these cells in the eyes that uh, produced melatonin and reacted to luminance were discovered. And, but people as optometrists or ophthalmologists um, are not using that to the benefit of the patient at this time because it's too new of a discovery. Uh, the neuroscience field has done thousands of articles regarding these cells. And when I go to the neuroscience meetings each year, um, you see not lots of information about cones and rods and these melanopsin-containing cells. But in optometry and ophthalmology, the education hasn't yet gotten into the mainstream where we know how to prescribe glasses utilizing these cells. The mainstream has gotten education on there are these cells, they do exist, but not what glasses actually do to them. Uh, so after a brain injury, how? it's really how what? That's that's what I was just going to ask you. So how how does that get affected by a brain injury? Um, what you just said about the retina being a part of the brain tissue—that's the mm -hmm. first time I've ever heard someone say that, and that makes mm -hmm. so much sense. There's a book from 1987 called "The Retina: An Approachable Part of the Brain." And the guy who wrote that book, it's uh, put everything possible, the retina, into it. And then he rewrote a second edition in 2012. And what happened in the second edition is he said, oh, my goodness, in 1987, I thought we had everything about the retina, but now there are these new cells that were discovered in 2002. So he had to rewrite a lot of things to add to it. Wow. The, and then so in addition how, to that, the retinas... What happens when we... The, the, uh, I'm so sorry. There's like a tiny delay between our talking. <laughs> so, um, so, so when someone bumps their head and has a brain injury, how, how is that all connected with the eyes? Well, when one, the eyes themselves are mapped into the brain. So if you shine light to the top edge of the eye, the retina, your, the signals travel through a specific spot in the brain to get to the visual part of the brain. And then if you shine light downwards, the light goes through a completely different route on its way to get to the visual part of the brain. And if you shine the light sideways, it also goes through a different route. So I have a, a little lecture called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Visual Cortex because there's so many different, there's, there's <laughs> several main routes that the signals can take. And if any parts of the brain have any damage, like you have a head injury where a chunk of brain tissue just isn't working right, when the signals from the eye go through that part of the brain, it's like going over a sandstorm. It's, it's, they're not clear signals anymore. They get disrupted. So what we can do with eyeglasses 
is route the light through one of the other pathways and not go through the damaged part. Um, the Brain Mapping Association is really neat because most people think of brain mapping as EEGs or um, uh, you can do uh, M MRIs or different ways to map the brain as MEGs. But you can also use eyeglasses to figure out what parts of the retina um, are sending good signals in and what parts aren't. So even if the eye itself is fine, the signals travel from the eye through the brain to get to the visual cortex. And on the way, you can map them. So if there's a, some sort of injury, you can determine which section of the retina you, can, you have to avoid in order for the visual cortex to get good, good information. And that's what now, we do here what, at the Mind-Eye Connection. Now, what, what does someone do who has hit their head and they think that they're having, you know, everyone I talk to, it's like there's just something off my eyes. You know, like they can't pinpoint it. Like they kept asking me, are you seeing double? And I didn't think I was seeing double. Um, but I just I couldn't pinpoint what it was that was wrong with my eyes. So mm -hmm. how does someone find a doctor like you if they can't um, get to Chicago? <laughs> well, we're teaching doctors. Right now there's doctors all over Europe who have been learning what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, I just came back this fall from Vienna, Austria, teaching doctors there. Um, I've taught in Germany, in Belgium, and um, I'm going to be in Spain teaching in Madrid and Barcelona next month. Um, I'm going to be in Canada during the summer. But the, we're going to have a seminar here in July in Chicago for people who want to learn. Currently, there's about 14 doctors from around the United States who... Uh, have been wanting to learn this. So at this point, if someone wants to find a doctor, they would call our office and then we could uh, route them in the proper direction. Eventually, people will be certified to do this around the United States. The, the biggest what is difference, your website? MindEyeConnection.com Perfect. The main difference for what we're doing is we're prescribing glasses for the peripheral retina rather than the central retina. And the second main difference is that we're prescribing glasses that link auditory and visual processing together. Right now, when you get eyeglasses, you are having somebody look at a target and say, is the target clear or blurry? and you put the glasses on and say, which is better, one or two? And, and then the person will say, oh, one uh -huh. is better because it's clearer. And the end result is clear glasses. Uh, what we're doing is not paying so much attention to the clarity and making it super sharp, but we're paying more attention to the comfort of the background. So I'll say to people all the time, you can see 20-20 but not be as comfortable and have all your symptoms, or you can see 2025, but have many of your symptoms go away. And they'll say, I won't mind a tiny bit of blur in order to have the symptoms go away. So it's, it's a uh, scale between comfort and clearness. And you have to give up a little bit of comfort in order to get some clearness, or you have to give up a little bit of clearness to get more comfort. And when your brain is trying to heal, it's a lot better to give up the clearness of the target 
and get the comfort of your body. Once your body's comfortable, then you can yeah. heal and deal with other things. Uh, an example that I use a lot in, in um, my lectures is that of a mouse running across the floor. That if you're sitting around and all of a sudden a little mouse runs across the floor and disappears and goes out the door, it is enough to raise your heart rate. It's enough to tense up all your muscles. Mm-hmm. It's enough to move your attention onto the mouse and off of whatever you were thinking about. And all the mouse did was create a little moving shadow on the edge of your eye. So the peripheral retina is so critical because if just a little shadow on the edge of it is enough to raise your heart rate and get your muscles tense and make your mind forget what you were thinking about to go onto the mouse. Look at the power of the peripheral retina. But when you go for a regular eye exam, they typically put the machine in front of your eye and you look through a little hole and the peripheral retina is blocked off. So the glasses you get don't don't, yeah. So the glasses aren't accounting for the edge of your eye. That's such a powerful example. You know, like what you just said, you know, that startle reflex. Um, I hear Mm -hmm. that all the time in TBI survivors. Right, because their peripheral retina is hypersensitive. It's a protective mechanism that they get themselves into, and it has to be calmed down because every time they want to look at a target, the peripheral retina takes over. It's the same concept of putting you out in the woods at night your per- or even in the daytime. Your peripheral retina is extra sensitive. And any little movement will catch your attention. So after a brain injury, that happens a lot to a lot of people. And sometimes just part of the peripheral retina gets sensitive and not all of it. So again, the more you can calm down the body, the more the patient can pay attention to the outside environment. That is just such... I've never heard it explained that way. That is just so, so amazing. So what, like, what do you... Do you do, like, prisms? Like, what, what, what are you doing with glasses um, different than traditional doctors? Uh, well, not everybody would have prisms because what prisms do is angle light so it'll disperse light more toward one part of the retina than the other. And for some people, that's great because one part's super sensitive, so you bend the light away from that part and they're happy. Uh, But other people can't tolerate that because it's too much. It's still overload for them. So some people, we use tints. and Different colored tints activate different cells in the retina. So like uh, the retina gets activated, some, some cells get activated by red light, some by blue light, some by green light, some by um, uh, movement, some by uh, contrast. There's different cells that get activated in different ways. So we, we run a bunch of colors across the, for the person, and then we check what the colors do to how they judge the environment around them. Um, for instance, I had a patient this morning And when we put yellow in front of her, she was unable to judge where targets were, actually. She could try She saw them, but she couldn't figure out where they were. But when we put blue in front of her, she was able to judge where they were accurately with no problem at all. So we use colors to see if the colors disrupt processing and spatial awareness. And then if they do, that might be a more gentle route to go with patients. Just like if you're in a car 
and you want to slow the car down, you have a choice of putting on the brake, which will make a sudden stop, or putting on, taking your foot off the gas, which will make a gradual stop. And in eyeglasses, we have choices to make. You can use a prism, which is a little more harsh because it shoves all the light one particular direction. Or you could use a tint or a lens or a filter, which is much more gentle on a patient. And the, a tint is a type of a filter, but there's also occlusion filters. And if we use a, a filter or a lens, then that's a much more gentle. It's as if you're taking the gas up, you're lifting the gas and you have a much gradual change. Now, what about someone who is maybe five, ten years out from their brain injury and has never really gotten the help they needed? Are you able to help them? Um, like, yes, Clark Would you say was, there's Clark really no end date? There isn't any mm -hmm. end date. We have one lady who's 28 years out from her injury. Um, she had an injury at age 30, and now she was 58. Um, so, no, uh, there's, it doesn't seem like there's any end because of neuroplasticity. The brain changes no matter what. Yeah. Um, Dr. Donnelly Marcus, the other doctor in um, Clark Elliott's saga, uh, works with uh, building brain function internally, and there is no limit. Uh, she works with 80-year-olds, you know, 90-year-olds. You can always build brain function. Now, when you do have somebody five years out or six years out, it's harder because their brain has a new habit, and it's harder to break yeah. that habit. But uh, it's much easier. My, the ultimate would be for people who had a brain injury to be screened when they were at the hospital or screened by their neurologists or screened by their physical therapist or the vestibular specialist or, or the functional neurologist. And at that point, a therapeutic lens be added to their, their protocol. Because what is happening, we find, is that when you put a therapeutic lens on right away, it helps change the habit of the person, and their therapy is quicker. So they recover faster when they're using a lens that calms their nervous system down. So we split things into That's body so and mind. Fantastic. So if you think about your mind and your body, what they have to adapt to environmental changes all the time. And what I hear from all the brain injury patients is my mind can't adapt to what's going on around me. I'm, I have sound sensitivity, light sensitivity. Um, I get yeah. brain fog. I can't concentrate. Their mind can't function. And then you get other complaints about their body. You know, I'm always fatigued. Um, it's just terrible. And we go into Clark Elliott's description of the battery system that, that he used, where you have A batteries, B batteries, and C batteries. And typically a person uses their A batteries all day long and then recharges them at night. This is Clark's example. But then their B batteries are used when they need adrenaline for a little boost of energy. And their C batteries are never touched. It's just completely you know, put away. And in a brain injury patient, they use up their A batteries all the time right away because they're so busy yeah. trying to figure out their environment or their eyes and their ears are disrupted from each other and their energy is pulled as their attention shifts back and forth to what they hear and what they see. So they're into their B batteries all the time during a day instead of their A's. And so they get more fatigued. 
And a lot of the brain injury patients who are stuck being at a job that they can't take, they don't have the luxury of taking off and relaxing, they end up dipping into that C reserve. And so they're fatigued. It's it's hard. And we have so many people coming in here where they have hats on and sunglasses and they just can't deal with the outside environment. So when you talk about the mind and the body and how they adapt, if we put glasses on, we have different kinds of glasses that work at the body level and other kinds that work at the mind level. The mind level be more of what you're doing to the outside targets and background. The body level be more for comfort. When we make the body comfortable, then their attention can be placed on the targets and what they need to do. More attention can be placed on planning and processing without giving them a headache, and they function better. Their quality of lives are better. Oh, my gosh. This is such amazing stuff. <laughs> I mean, I oh think every, if you, if you, saying, it just makes so much sense. They don't have tolerance ranges. Everybody's stuck in tolerance mode and they're not in their comfort mode. And because they're in tolerance mode, they have stress chemicals produced and the stress chemicals limit how much they can think. Their executive functions, their memory, their planning ability is hindered because they're in survival mode at their body level. So you've got to use a lens to deal with their body level first and then uh, all kinds of treatments work. You can uh, Visual therapy works beautifully. Um, physical therapy is shorter. Occupational therapy is shorter. But they need to have their body stabilized first. It's one thing to tell them, you know, just work at it, work at it, work at it. And it's another thing to put a pair of glasses on that do it automatically. And a, a brief example, because I know you're, you're running short on time, would be um, just your shoulder posture. A lot of people come with hunched up shoulders, mm-hmm. and you can tell them over yep. and over, pull your shoulders back, pull your shoulders. We'll do exercises, we'll do therapy, but it's a lot quicker to put a pair of glasses on that makes the floor tilt downhill because then they pull their shoulders back instantly at a reflex level. Oh, I just pulled my shoulders back. <laughs> but if oh you were gosh, given a pair of glasses where the floor looked like stop. it were sloping, you're going to change your posture. And so the minute you change your posture, you're going to change your eye position. So the theme of your show today is how the eyes and the brain are linked together. And to kind of tie it up, not only are your eyes a part of your brain, but the reactions that your eyes do are at different levels. My my lectures are all, I've got clues, the clue level where you figure things out by looking at it and pointing your eyes and thinking about it, which takes energy the Q level, where it's at a lower level of energy, kind of a habit where you've learned to do something, and then the cruise control level. So you have clues, cues, and cruise control. But when you have a brain injury, the cruise control control level isn't working correctly, and the link between the clues and the cues is disrupted. So everything's not working the way they're used to. And lenses help to get that back, sometimes a series and sometimes activities before they're ready to deal with the outside environment and pointing their eyes and focusing and following moving targets and, and just dealing with life and crowds and grocery stores that have so many colors and movements. Yes. Yes. Deborah, this is amazing stuff. I wish we could talk for hours. Um, give our listeners your website again mindeyeconnection.com it's all one word mindeyeconnection.com 
www.tbiconnection.com. So if anyone is in the Chicago area, I know I have a TBI coaching client here in Minneapolis. I know that she comes to see you. You know, if anyone is in the area, give her office a call, or if you are maybe on the east or west coast, call her office for a recommendation. Like, this stuff is just mind-blowing. I'll be be (laughs) working with a doctor in Los Angeles in uh, April, and I'll be working with a doctor in uh, New York in uh, March. So we're, you know, we we do have uh, people who are learning at different places. And then there's a Dr. Sue Durham in North Carolina. uh, Is is she's been working diligently? uh, Awesome. Eventually, if you if in a year, you never know how many. Yes. Everybody's learning. Well, thank you, Deborah. I'm just about out of time. Thank you so much for spending a half hour with me. This has just been absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you're you. Welcome. And when your listeners learn that you can use glasses to alter auditory function, that's a great thing too. That's uh, People don't realize how glasses affect ear-eye connections and how that affects reading ability. So, but yeah, thank you for having connected. me, Amy. I appreciate it. Thank you so so very much for taking the time to talk to my tribe and thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed today's show and of course you can find all the previous episodes at basesoftbi.com and you can also subscribe through itunes so thank you again for being here everyone and thank you to dr zelinski for this amazing information And I will talk to you all again on the next episode. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.